Please allow me to add my word of welcome. We're delighted that you're here today. Glad that you could come in and get cool, come out of the hot. And here you are. Aren't you here for the cooling? Yeah, because this is a cool group, right? It's a cool crowd in a cool room, and we'll go anywhere for that, right? But I'm glad that you're here. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online as well today. Now, this is the fourth of four sermons in this series, and we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, so we're just going to jump right in. Is that okay? All right, let's go. If you start reading your Bible at the beginning in Genesis, it's not too long before you get to a guy named Abraham. And Abraham, that's where our story begins when God speaks to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a great family. He didn't even have any children, but he says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a great family. In fact, you're going to become a great nation. In fact, you're going to have an influence all over the world. And Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and they were so thankful to have a child. And Isaac then later had two sons. And one of Isaac's sons was Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And then Jacob's son, one of his sons was named Joseph. And Joseph was his favorite because he had different wives, and, and Rachel was the wife that he loved the most, and, and this is the child that she gave him. And so Joseph was his favorite child because Rachel was his favorite wife. You get in trouble when you play favorites. Then Rachel gave birth to another boy named Benjamin after Joseph, but she died in childbirth. And now... Uh, Jacob is grieving even more because he's lost Rachel. And so Joseph becomes even more precious to him. And Joseph has older brothers. He has 10 older brothers. They're half-brothers. But their father loves Joseph the most. And you can imagine how, what they felt about Joseph because of that. You know, can you imagine looking at your siblings and saying, I'm the favorite, mom loves me the most? And maybe you do that at your get-togethers. I don't know. Maybe all of you say that to one another. No, no, she loves me. No, it's you. <clears throat> anyway, that's what they knew. And so one J Jacob says to Joseph one day, I want you to go see your brother, see how they're doing. They're out and taking care of business. Go find them in the fields and check on them. Well, he doesn't want to go because his brothers can't stand him, and that doesn't make him really happy about being around them either. But when they see him coming, they see him wearing this robe, this coat of many colors that Jacob got for him. It's, it's kind of like he went and bought the really nice coat for him. The rest of them didn't get anything like that, right? And that makes them hate him even more. And so when he gets there, they decide to take his robe from him, and they put him down in a pit. And they decide, let's kill him. But before we kill him, let's stop and have lunch. Because really, doesn't that build up your appetite more when you're, when you're getting ready to kill your sibling? Don't you want to think, you know, before we do that, let's just break for a minute. I'm kind of hungry. This has really worked up my appetite. And so the Bible says this. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So they pull him out of the pit, and his own brothers sell him to slave traders. Now, Joseph is about 17 years old, and he's being sold as a slave. And it continues. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. 
Potiphar, the Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And this is a strange theme that reoccurs throughout this story because in this story, in the midst of all the chaos, the author tells us, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And you're sitting there thinking, if the Lord was with him, man, can you imagine what it would be like if the Lord wasn't with him? He's a slave now, right? And throughout the story, the message is not only that God is with Joseph, but that Joseph chooses to be with God. Joseph decided to live his life as if God were with him rather than God had abandoned him. And eventually Potiphar notices Joseph and he notices his talent. And as the years go by, Joseph gets more and more responsibility. And not too long after that, Joseph is managing Potiphar's whole household. But Potiphar wasn't the only one who noticed Joseph. Mrs. Potiphar noticed Joseph too. And Mrs. Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, comes to Joseph and basically says, I want you to sleep with me. And for the first time maybe in all of her life, she got no for an answer. Because in the ancient culture, if you told a slave to do something, they just had to obey. They couldn't tell you no. But this Hebrew slave has the audacity to say to his master's wife, no, I'm not going to do what you require of me. And here's the amazing reason that he gives. His first reason is this. Your husband has put everything under my control and my charge, everything under my authority except for you. So how could I do this? But then he makes an amazing statement. He says, how, could, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? To which we think to ourselves, you mean the God who has done nothing for you lately? You mean the God who watched when you were sold into slavery by your brothers who knows what's going to happen to you? You mean the God who stood by and didn't intercede, who did not come to your rescue? This is the God you're going to be faithful to? Well, this is offensive to Potiphar's wife. And basically, he accu she accuses him uh, because he's accused her of trying to sin. And he goes on day after day. And finally, she gets fed up with him. And so she's tired of the guilt and the rebellious slave. And she accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. And when Potiphar finds out, he has no options. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. I want to pause there just a moment, parenthetically, and say that Potiphar probably had suspected that Joseph really didn't try to rape his wife, that she was the initiator of that, because he would have killed him. He wouldn't have just put him in prison because he's just a slave. But Potiphar has to make her happy, and he's not going to kill Joseph and so it goes on and it says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. To which we say, you know, we see if the God is with you, then you're not in prison. She's in prison, right? The whole thing's not working. Good things are supposed to happen to good people. Bad things are supposed to happen to bad people. If you're faithful, everything's supposed to work out, right? 
But the corollary is this. God is good with people, is, is good with people in bad times. So God's with you. You know, the alternative is that you're going through a bad time without God. Well, that's not any better. That's worse. And so he knew that God was with him. And as you read the story, Pharaoh's butler and baker fall out of favor with the Pharaoh, and he puts them in prison too. And they meet Joseph there. And they have these dreams, and they're trying to find somebody to tell them what the dreams mean and explain them to them. And they meet Joseph, and Joseph says, in the past, I've been able to interpret dreams. And so they tell him their dreams, and the butler says, well, I had this dream. And Joseph listens to his dream, and he says, I've got some good news for you. In three days, the Pharaoh's birthday is coming, and he's going to lift your head up out of prison and restore you as his personal butler and wine taster. <clears throat> and then Joseph says, but when you get out, I'm here under false pretenses. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not a bad person. Please speak to the Pharaoh on my behalf. Please mention my name. Get me out of this prison. And of course, the butler's thinking, if your interpretation comes true and I get out of prison and I go back to work for the Pharaoh, I'll be glad to mention your name. And the baker's listening to all this and he thinks to himself, well, listen, if the butler thing turned out so great, I'm going to see what my dream means as well. And so he tells Joseph <clears throat> and Joseph pauses and says, well, your head's going to be lifted up too, but it's going to be lifted up off your body. And unfortunately, your body is going to be impaled at the stake, and the birds are going to come and eat your flesh. Now, I don't know why he thought he had to go into such detail to let the poor baker know what's getting ready to happen to him. He could have just said, it's not going to go as well for you, but he didn't say that. Sure enough, three days later, the baker is beheaded and the impaled, and the butler is restored to his firm, uh, former position. Now, put yourself in this situation. You're Joseph. You're in prison. You've gotten the butler out. He knows what's going on. Surely he's going to tell the Pharaoh, any day now, you're going to be released. Somebody's going to come and get you and pull you up out of this mess that you're in. And so he waits. Surely the butler will remember. And then a week goes by. And then another week, and then a month, and the Bible says that the butler forgot all about Joseph. And then the years go by, and year by year, Joseph is wondering, is this it? Is, is this my life? Is this what it's going to be like from now on? Am I always going to be here in this prison? But day after day, the Bible says, Joseph continued to live as if God was with him. You see, bad things happen, but God doesn't cause bad things to happen. He allows them. But you know what? God has a plan. We can't see the plan. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And Joseph just has faith in God, and he keeps believing. <clears throat> and now he's 30 years old. And Pharaoh, <coughs> excuse me, has a series of dreams and he's disturbed by the dreams, and he believes somehow they mean something. So he calls in his magicians and sorcerers and counselors, and he asks them to interpret the dream, but no one can. 
And then the butler remembers, you know, when you put me in prison, there was this Hebrew there. And he interpreted my dream, and he told me what was going to happen, and in three days it came to pass just as he said it would. Maybe you ought to go get him out of prison and ask him to come. So the text says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, what happens next is probably one of the most courageous things that you'll ever read about in history. Because Pharaoh says, I'm going to give you a dream, and I want you to interpret my dream. But before Pharaoh can even begin telling Joseph what he dreamed, then he says to the most powerful man on the planet, Joseph does, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Pharaoh is considered a God. For him to say that to Pharaoh took a lot of guts. And he says, you know, I, I don't care what you think you are. I know who my God is. And God is the one who can interpret this dream for you. And I'm going to give him the glory and praise. And, and you may put me back in prison and you may end my life, but, but I'm still going to live as if God is with me. And Pharaoh considered himself a God, but he listened to Joseph. And so Joseph, he explains the dream to him and Joseph pauses and then he explains the dream, and here's what he says. Pharaoh, Egypt is going to experience seven extraordinary years. There's going to be so much grain, so much blessing. There's going to be an abundance of things. It's going to be wonderful. But then after seven years, there's going to be this terrible famine, and nobody's going to have anything, and everybody's going to forget about the abundance after the seven years. And then as he talked about that, he says there's going to be seven years of prosperity, seven years of, of famine, at which point Joseph should have stopped talking there. But Joseph does the unthinkable. Joseph begins to give Pharaoh advice. This young Hebrew leans in and says, Pharaoh, here's what I think you ought to do. Nobody talks to Pharaoh that way. Pharaoh has to ask you something. He just takes the initiative. During the years of plenty, I want you to designate cities, places where you can build big silos. You can collect all kinds of grain. People come in, they bring theirs. What I want you to do during that time is take 20% of everything that people bring in. We're going to save it during the seven years. So then in the seven years of famine, you're going to have plenty left over, and we're going to be able to take care of everybody, and even beyond the area, we'll be able to bless them. Somebody needs to wake up every day. They need to keep their eye on the ball. They need to take care and manage all this stuff so that it's provided for you for 14 years so everything will work in their silence. And then in Genesis, it says this. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God. Yeah. Now here's a Pharaoh who doesn't even believe in God, but man, he's looking at Joseph and he's saying, you know what? I may not believe in God, but he does. And there's something special about this Hebrew. 
It's not just him, but it's this assurance and this peace. It's this attitude that he has. It's this countenance that I see in him. And when I see him, I see there's something special, and he believes in God, and he's able to interpret dreams, and maybe there is a God, and maybe he's right. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And he makes Joseph the prime minister over Egypt. And now Joseph has the responsibility to save a nation. So he organizes everything, and he puts it together, and he implements the plan, and he watches it daily, and he takes care of it. And sure enough, they come in, and they give 20% to Pharaoh every time. They come in when there's so much abundance, and they've got so much to give. And, but then the rain cease, and things start to get bad, and everybody forgets what Joseph predicted of how they'll forget about all the abundance when everything becomes so bad, and we don't have anything. And at the right time, they began to sell their grain, and people spent all their money and even traded their cattle. And the famine reached all of Egypt and even beyond Egypt up to where Joseph's family was from. And the text says, when Jacob, his father, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, <laughs> this reminds me of the Three Stooges for some reason. Why do you just keep looking at each other? It's kind of like Moe's getting ready to go doink like that to him, okay? Why do you just keep looking at each other, he says. He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land and the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now, the reason they don't recognize him is because the last time they saw him, he was a scrawny 17-year-old teenager who was crying out for help and mercy, and now he's over 30, and he's in a totally different position of power and authority over them. And so they didn't realize who he was. His brothers didn't recognize him. And, and so they were trying to put that memory of him out of their minds because they felt guilty all the time because of what they'd done, and surely someone's going to find out, and surely it's going to come back on them. And here's the question that I want us to wrestle with. I want us to look at today and ask ourselves, what do you do when you've got the power and your words determine the destiny of your enemy? How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to take revenge? Are you going to act out because you're angry and hurt? What are you going to do? What happens when things turn around? And the answer to the question depends on how much bitterness and anger you allow to stay with you and how much bitterness and anger you release and say, you know what? I'm going to live every day as if God is with me. The answer to that question depends on what you did with your bitterness and anger. And the brothers bowed down before him 
And, and he might have remembered what they said. You know, Joseph had this dream, and he told his brothers, I had this dream that all of you bowed down before me. Another reason they were not too crazy about him. But that's exactly what they end up doing. And he remembered how they sold him into slavery. And he remembered how he'd been treated along the way and Potiphar's wife and all that had happened to him and all that had taken place. And he could have just kept that inside and become more and more resentful because of it. But for three chapters, Joseph just plays with his brothers now. He says, I think you're spies. They said, no, no, we're not spies. And he said, do you have any other brothers? They said, yes, we have a younger brother, Benjamin. He said, good. I want one of you to stay here and be a hostage. I want the rest of you to go back and get Benjamin, and I want you to bring him here. Well, now Jacob's not going to like that because he's already lost Joseph, and now he's going to lose Benjamin too. And they go back and forth for several months, and he accuses them of being spies, and he even makes it look like that Benjamin has stolen from him when they leave at one time. And he's testing them, and he's looking at them, and he's trying to determine something, and he's trying to determine are they the same people that they were when they sold me into slavery, or have they grown past that? Are they better than that? Or have they learned anything by that experience? And then it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Because his brothers expected Joseph to do to them what they would have done to Joseph. But they didn't need to be terrified because Joseph's different. He didn't look at life the way they look at it. He goes beyond that. And he lived in the absence of bitterness and anger. And he lived each day as if God was with him. And so he was able to forgive. Now, here's what I want you to catch, because this is so significant. This is not just a story in the Old Testament. It's a great story, and it's real, but it's not just a story. What Joseph had no way of knowing was that God's plan for the ages, for the future, dangled by a thread in what he said. And his one word, <coughs> that before him, with his brothers, stood the ten of the twelve tribes of Israel, through whom God would introduce the Savior of the world. <coughs> Has to do the right thing. He would introduce Jesus through this. It would come to be because Joseph is so obedient. And he will do what Joseph did for his brothers, except he will forgive the whole world. And we can be forgiven. We're here today partially because of Joseph's decision. Joseph chose to be a man of God. You know, you think that maybe you have influence in your own life and maybe your immediate family. You think maybe that maybe sometimes people in the community, maybe you might influence people beyond that. But I want you to think about the decision that he made and the repercussions that it still 
has today and how Jesus came from that and how we're all here today because Jesus has saved us. And he has to stand up and embrace his brothers. And he forgives them and he says, go home, get dad, get your wives, get your children, get your grandchildren, bring your animals, come back. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I'll take care. In fact, I'll give you an escort to give you protection as you go. And, and they come back and they all live together. And, and it's a wonderful story. And then their father, Jacob, dies. And I want you to see what the attitude of the brothers was then. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said, because they thought that now that daddy's dead, he's going to wipe us out. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? It's not my decision to make. It's not my place to judge you. It's not my place to get revenge. That's up to God. I just want to be faithful and obedient to him. And that's the question I want to ask you today. Everyone, ask yourself the question, am I in the place of God? Somebody's hurt you. Somebody's broken your heart. Somebody has betrayed you. Someone has acted ugly to you and treated you unkindly and persecuted you. Am I in the place of God? How am I going to deal with that? You will never experience the good that comes from the bad unless you recognize God was with you during the bad and he'll be with you during the good. And Joseph said, you attended, intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. And here's the thing. One day, maybe someday soon, you may have power over another person, the person who took from you, the person who hurt you, the person who stole from you, the person who robbed you of that opportunity that you were going to have. And you don't know what's going to happen in the future. But in those moments, your heavenly Father is going to ask you to remember that he was with you when you were at your worst. And he'll be with you when things are at their best, but you've got to remain faithful to him. And in that moment when you have to make a decision, what will you do? What will I do when I've got the power and the words and your words determine the destiny of your enemy? Will you pay them back or will you use those words to pave the way forward? Now listen, your decision will not be determined by what's happening then. Your decision will be determined by what you do between now and then. It will be determined by the perspective that you maintain between now and then. That was the way, only way that Joseph could do the right thing is because he released the bitterness and the anger. And he chose, 
He chose to live as if God was with him every day. I hope that you will take your cue from the one who gave his life for you, Jesus, and not from those who took from you. I hope that you will look to the one who has been with you and not the ones who abandon you. And if you do in that moment, you will be like your father in heaven and you will be free. Father, thank you for Joseph. Thank you for his decisions. Thank you for his example. Thank you for his faith. We look at him and, and we don't know how in the world he was able to do what he did. But Lord, we pray that we might be <clears throat> the kind of people who would follow his example. Lord, he didn't know what an influence he was going to have on so many people in the future, even us today. He just chose to make the right decision. And because of that, he influenced so much of the future. And we're so thankful that he did. Today, Lord, we may think that we don't have that kind of influence. We don't have that kind of impact on other people. But Lord, you can do anything you want to with anybody, anytime. And so I pray, Lord, that even in the midst of our weaknesses, even in the midst of our failures, even in the midst of our faults, that we would seek to be your people, your man, your woman, your boy, your girl, that we would follow you faithfully and we would live as if you are with us because, Lord, you are. And we thank you for that. In your son's name we pray. And all God's children said,